This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to this week's No and Never podcast where Premier League football is back. Hooray! And in phenomenal style too. Joining me today are Natalie and James, who will be hoping to take advantage of their hosts in discipline. The first half of today's podcast should be just about the best you can remember. But we're hoping Alvaro, Alvaro Morata won't pop up and spoil our fun in the second half. And actually, we're hoping this will be the best sounding podcast you can remember, because we're trying out a new tool tonight. So we should have a much better sound quality than before. So please let us know what you think. Um, and let's get on to the podcast. So on to Chelsea. I don't think any of us expected that, did we? Natalie and James, can you give me your 30-second highlights of the match? Well, well, well. What an incredible, incredible, especially 45 minutes of football. I was delighted. I was ecstatic. I was shocked. I didn't know what to do with myself. And then in the second half, I was nervous, terrified, convinced we were going to throw it all away and get at least um, just one point instead of three. But more than anything, what an absolutely phenomenal performance. It's just one of those it's just one of those days where none of us expected it. Everybody expected us to have a bit of a shocker, but we didn't. The Clarets got there and what a great day in the capital. Yeah, it was an absolutely fantastic uh, win for the Clarets. Um I thought the key thing for us was that we, we we managed to find a way to actually play against ten men, which is something we've had a big issue with in the past. Um and we've, on the day, we were just fantastic at crossing, which I think was really uh, the, the key point that paid off for us. Absolutely, yeah. I, I, I personally don't think I can remember anything like going into half-time at the Champions, three goals up. Uh, Natalie, was this the greatest 45 minutes in Burnley history? Oh, um, uh, that's quite a high-pressured question, actually. I'm sure that there will be Burnley purists around us who would argue for um, sort of the great games, certainly uh, promotion to the Premier League in the first place was a great four to five minutes. The Orient game, obviously, in terms of Burnley's ranking in history, then I'm not sure it was the greatest. It was certainly one of the most entertaining. I think I'll give that, um, you know, a, a big score. It was just, it was modern football at it its finest. And for me, it just signalled Burnley actually finally being and looking like a Premier League side in this current age of football. And I think that was what was most important for me. Yeah, and obviously we can't not mention former Claret. Gary Cahill's contribution. James, how did his red card affect the game? I think it's fair to say that his red card was absolutely, uh, 
you know the the, the turning point in the game. Um, I think really there can be no qualms about it. They, they said on match of the day, I think as well that you know the rule has been if you show you should uh, show your studs, um, you're going to get sent off for a few years now. Uh, and I think Cahill didn't really have an argument with it. Uh, you could see as soon as the referee sent him off, he was disappointed, but he didn't really try and uh, protest the decision, which to me says that he, he realises he you know he'd made a mistake. Um, it was surprising to see that happen so early in the game, though, at the Champions. Um, it's you know so often you see big sides maybe get a little bit of favour in these decisions, and you know some on some occasions I think some referees were wrong give a yellow card. Um, so I think the referee needs to be applauded for making a quite a brave decision at one of the big sides, um, but ultimately it was the right decision. Yeah, I think I think we showed really good character following the red card. Um, I think you alluded to it earlier, James, but last season we played Man City with, an, with a man advantage for an hour, um, and at Arsenal it was for half an hour, and we, we couldn't take advantage of it either of those occasions. Whereas I think this time we were a lot more professional. I think we, we really took advantage of the, the obvious turmoil in the, in the Chelsea ranks. And actually... There's been a lot of made of Chelsea self-destruction and them not playing very well, but I think that was all. I think that was all us. I think we really forced them into those mistakes. Um, I think mentally, mentally, we destroyed them uh, as well as on the on the field. And actually, I think our goals were a really good example of that. Um, each of them came from a, a short free kick where Chelsea were expecting us to maybe pump it long into the box. Um, Natalie, do you think we were too clever for Chelsea or do you think they did, didn't give us enough respect? Um, I think it's probably difficult to imagine them giving Spurs or City or United that much space. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. I actually think it was probably a combination of both. Chelsea approached that game on Saturday expecting to play the Burnley that we played last season. And you have to give Deitch and his backroom staff a huge amount of credit in that we've come at this season I know we've only played one game but it seems like we've come at this this season with a renewed tactical awareness and maybe an awareness as well that teams may have found us out I know that's the expression that a lot of people use um, we all worried that we wouldn't maybe win as many games this season because people had figured out how to beat Burnley if that makes sense so Deitch counterbalanced that by just doing something different and one of the things that I was really pleased to see over the weekend was so much positive press from the experts and the pundits both on Sky and on Match of the Day and on other channels basically saying that everybody expected Burnley to do the, the long ball hoof up to Voxy at the front and we didn't and that we were cleverer than that um, so for me and actually I think as well when you look at the when you look at the Vox's second goal um, I think the Chelsea defence had cottoned on a little bit that they might have got their tactics wrong. And you see that there's a Chelsea defender, I don't know who it was, I'm sorry, was a little bit closer um, than, than they were for the second goal, especially. Uh, but they still just hadn't, they hadn't figured it out quickly enough. So for me, it was a balance. It was, sorry, for me, it was a bit of both. It was Chelsea. Um, not really doing enough prep and just being a little bit complacent and just thinking that Burnley didn't have the tactical awareness to do something different from last year. So they thought, well, we don't need to do our homework. We know how they're going to play. And Deitch being alive to that and actually changing the formation, both in real time and in his preparation. Yeah, I think you're right about that, that, that the, the third goal. I think, like you said, they, they had to play a little bit closer, but Stephen DeForest still had so much time and space to, to get that ball across. Yeah. It's almost like they brought someone forward a bit closer to him, but didn't really know what to do with him. So he still has, he almost 
wasn't worth being there because still had so much time to get that ball across. Um, there has been a lot of talk about Andre Gray's departure in the last couple of weeks and, and new strikers maybe coming in. I think Shane Long's been mentioned, uh, so it's Chris Wood from Leeds and Lille striker, let's try and get this right, Nicolas de Preview. Um, that's my French that's my French wording. Um, Sam Vokes has got seven goals in six Premier League games now. Uh, and if we're going to be playing 4-5-1 regularly, do we, do we need another striker, James? Um, I'd say no, actually. Um, previously, I, I did want to see uh, another striker brought in, but with um, with four five one being so you know so successful on the opening weekend and it'd been so successful as last season, I, I think it's almost a case of not wanting to have the temptation there for Dyche to to go with something else. Um, and I feel that if we don't bring in another striker then he's going to be less tempted to do it because I think if you look at who we've got now I think they're all quite suited to 4-5-1 so it can be a case of oh, if someone's not quite in form uh, you know swap them out with someone else um, whereas if you've got another striker who's maybe a bit pacey like Gray was I think that leads us more towards a 4-4-2 um, you know with Volks and Gray as it was up front so Volks and whoever is, has just come in uh, and I'd like to see that sort of temptation removed. And for me, I think the focus needs to be actually on making sure we have enough cover for midfield if we're going to play a five-man midfield um, and something more at centre-back because I, I just feel that Tarkovsky may have been to blame for both of Chelsea's goals on Saturday. Natalie, obviously you're a, a big fan of Sam Vokes in lots of different ways, shall we say. Um, obviously, if Sean Dyche brought in a new big-money striker, he'd want to get into the team. And if we're playing one four five one, that would mean... Uh, Sam Vokes losing his place, but given his form at the moment, that would be that'd be really harsh, wouldn't it? So it's it's quite a predicament. It, it certainly would, and, and Sam's just in ridiculous vein of form at the moment. He's playing really, really well, and he's he obviously he's he knows how to score goals at this level, um, which I think is is a hugely well, not just encouraging, but it's hugely rewarding as well, given the pain that he must have been through that first season we got promoted and he had to spend nearly an entire season um, on the sidelines with his injury. Um, the, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess the cutthroat person in me wants to just say, well, you know, we've got no room anymore for sentimentality. And if we do have the opportunity to bring in a, a really, really class striker, we're going to have to take that opportunity because at the end of the day, the club's bigger than any player and the club's bigger than, than any of us. Uh, and then obviously the four-five-one allowed Stephen DeFore to come into the team. James, did you expect him to start? I, I thought he played very, very quite deep. I was in two minds really with uh, to expect him to start. Obviously we'd, we'd seen quite a bit more of him in pre-season and, uh, Maybe we we have done previously, uh, particularly more of him than you would have expected if he wasn't going to play. Um, but I think there was still a lot of doubt whether Dash should play four five one, and I think even in post match he he made a comment that he he loves two up top. Um, so you know there's clearly still a temptation for him there to play four four two, but four five one, um, as well as being great for us earlier last season, part of what was so good about us at home at the beginning of last season was. Uh, Defoe's introduction to the team uh, there was that run of like three or four games where he was just so key to everything we did um, he was involved in almost all of our goals um, and he really drives play um, That with him playing deep um, I think he can do either really you, the, the reason you want him in your midfield is because of his passing ability and obviously he can pass from anywhere on the, the pitch he doesn't need to be in a forward position or, or deep um, but particularly now there's 
Jack Hook with him. Uh, I think we've got obviously two great passes of the ball um, in the side. And I think it shows because the second goal obviously is a great pass by Cork over the top. And the third goal was a great cross by Defoe. Uh, so it shows that we are getting better delivery now from our side. And um, Defoe, if he can you know, continue playing at the, the correct fitness level for Dash, uh, it would be fantastic if we play him all season. And I think for me that is what's so key about 4-5-1, having Defoe in the team um, and being able to have that creative edge. Yeah, I think that's that's really significant, I think, really, actually, isn't it? But we had Defoe, who, I'm not going to say about that cliched term is like a new signing, but if he can come in, and I don't think any of us expected him to be here this season. Um, when we got to the end of last season, I think we were all pretty certain that it would be sold. Um, so, in fact, I'm going to go back and myself. I am going to use that cliched term, it's like a new signing. Um, and obviously, Jack Cork, um, who is an actual new signing, um, they both had very big roles in, in two of the goals, um, which I think is, is uh, really positive for us, particularly they were both quite... Um, it was those, those clinical balls forward, which we sometimes lacked a little bit last season. So that's that's really encouraging for me. So I, I did spot a tweet as well um, after the match from Mikey Watson saying that Stephen DeFore looked happy on the pitch. Uh, and what a performance. He's such a talent, so happy he's staying. Uh, and it does look like he's staying, uh, staying at, at Burnley now. James... What's 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 changed? Because we all thought he was he was going to be no longer a claret in the summer. So what what's changed to make him him stay at Turf Moor? Do you think? I'm not sure. That's a really difficult question actually. Because um, obviously there was rumours of him, him moving on, um, and it, it was sounding like he wasn't happy at the turf, and that you know it was almost a certainty he was going to leave. Um, but he hasn't, um, and I don't know whether that's partly because the offers that he maybe expected didn't materialise, or just something Dash has said to him. Um, but it seems that, you know, both sides have, have maybe got a bit of a renewed enthusiasm for the partnership, um, which obviously will delight the fans because he, he did become a fan favourite very quickly after arriving, you know, with his clear ability on the ball. Um, and I think, obviously, Dash still likes people who can run and give 90 minutes, but uh, to me at least, uh, getting 70 minutes out of him uh, with the you know the quality he brings to the pitch. Uh, I think that's that's more than enough. Um, so it's just great to see him back. Uh, you know, I don't think we'll ever really know particularly what went on uh, behind the scenes, why he wanted to leave in the first place, or you know what's ultimately made him stay. Uh, but I think it's obviously a massive benefit for us as fans, um, and hopefully a massive benefit for us on the pitch as well. Yeah, Natalie, I saw that Sean Dyche after the match said that he's, st- he's still learning, he's still adapting. Um, sounds like he's, he's not 100% sure that he's 100% <laughs> there yet. But I think starting him away from home mm. at Chelsea is a really big sign of confidence, Sean Dyche's confidence in him, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. I mean, I would be interested to see how he would have played or whether he would have played if um, we hadn't have lost Andre and he'd have potentially played a 4-4-2. Um, we think we all expected that Defoe would be the player who was um, sacrificed in that formation. So I think if he, at the moment, we have to play a 4-5-1 or this 4-4-1-1 um, scenario that we've got because of the personnel that we've got at the club and the fact that we are a little bit light on strikers. Um so I think in that sense, he has to play Defoe in the middle. Um, if he doesn't, he's playing Westwood. And I think we've just got too defensive and too stagnant a, a central midfield with Austria. I think you need that creativity. I think it has also been 
put in the Belgian press this week as well that Defoe is now happy and he's staying at Berlin and he's decided he doesn't want to leave. And I think you're right in what you said, Kevin, in the cynic in me wonders how much of that is down to a lack of offers coming in for him. And if, if before the end of the transfer window, somebody does come in with a bigger offer, he might go anyway. Um, I hope not. I hope that him and Deitch have found some common ground and that they are going to... Um, understand what each other wants this season and how they want each other to play and oh sorry how certainly how Deitch wants Defoe to play and how um how Defoe wants to be part of Deitch's plans I, I, I don't think we can really read too much into it at the moment and I think we should just be very happy that we've got Defoe for the time being and just relish having him in, in that uh, midfield role and all that creativity is going to bring uh, and if we can keep those, if we can keep Defoe um, at the club and being happy and informed and Dyche happy with him, we can keep the midfield trio of Cork, Defoe and, and uh, Hendrik fit and fit and informal season. James, I thought they looked, it looked a really fantastic partnership for me. Obviously, it's the first game of them playing together, but it seemed, it seemed to work really well. You've got Cork, who's kind of quite sensible on the ball. He can clean things up very well. Uh, Defoe's got that really fantastic creativity. Um and then Hendricks a bit a bit of everything he can, he can he can get forward he can get back he can do bits of everything I think it seemed to work really really well together what do you think I thought it was fantastic um, you know the I think when Jack Cook came in uh, we were all uh, excited by the prospects of a five man midfield him Hendrick and and uh, Defoe I think he's really the 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 key to being able to play that five man midfield uh, maybe the way we'd like to. Um, you know, he, he was very much used in a similar sort of deep role um, in his first and second loan spells of us. Uh, and he, he's just a great passer of the ball. I think he's one of those players who's maybe a little bit underappreciated. Um, you know, Swansea fans it didn't seem too upset to be uh, losing him. Uh, but I think it's because a lot of the stuff he does is the little things and the things that don't necessarily, you know... Uh, draw the attention on the on the cameras you don't always see it on much of the day uh, but it's key to, to what the team does um, and I think he's really the perfect base for that three uh, and then you've got a little bit of creativity obviously from Defoe who um, can play almost any pass he wants he's shown us before that he can you know score goals um, and Hendrik obviously he's maybe got a little bit more power to his game than Defoe he's more you know, rough and ready, uh, up for the challenge, which is maybe what Dash likes in his, his midfield. Uh, so I think it's a really, it's a really good balance between those three. And if we can keep all three fit and, you know, avoid suspensions, um, then it could be a, a really good midfield for us that other teams will be looking at and trying to find ways to shut down. Natalie, it took us 18 attempts to win away from home last season, I think it was. So how important is it for us to break that hoodoo so early this, this season? Oh God, it's absolutely massive, isn't it? It really, it really, really is. You can't put a price on just the effect that that's going to have psychologically on this team. We talked last season quite a lot about the continued psychological cycle of, of not being able to win away from home. And the um, I think we all wanted them to win a few more games just so that it didn't spill over into this season. As it turns out, we didn't really have an awful lot to worry about because even though they only did pick up one win away from home last season and it was towards the end, they have started as they mean to go on this season. Um, I think I'm going to keep any sort of criticism to a minimum this week because obviously we're all delighted with what happened but what I, one thing I would say is that they just need to be careful that they don't slip back into 
Burnley away from last season. Um, they were so positive and so attacking and so confident in that first half. But for me, as soon as that first Chelsea goal went in, it felt that there was a shift in the psychological um, temperament of the side and it felt like they just went a bit too deep again, started to go a bit too defensive. And I, and I don't know whether that was coming from the bench or just the players themselves. And they very, very nearly... Um, conceded a three-goal advantage. I think if the game had been just five minutes more... Well, actually, if that disallowed goal that Morata put in the net had stood, um, I don't think we would have won the game. So I think they just need to be mindful of that. Um, take the positives from um, the win and take the positives from that first-half performance, but just be mindful not to slip into bad habits from last season and, and get a little bit too defensive and too negative. The only thing about saying if that Morata goal hadn't been disallowed is like saying, you know... If the world wasn't round, you'd fall uh, off the edge because <laughs> <laughs> he was offside. No, he was offside. But I'd, okay, so let's let's just say if, if he hadn't have been greedy, which you don't mind from your strikers, if he hadn't have, if he hadn't had um, just tried to just make sure he'd gone over the line. So let's say he'd have left it and the goal would have gone in. Uh, I guess the point I was making is that they would have they would have been at three two with a lot longer of the game to go. Um, as it turns out, that the second goal was a little bit too close and they just ran out of time. Albeit they very nearly put one in on the um, you know the last kick of the game, didn't they? I just felt at the time that that disallowed goal was going in. So let's say he'd have left it. Um, I think they would have had longer to to press us, and, and I think our boys would have run out of steam a little bit. That's what that was my concern was. I think that's a fair point. What I would say is that. Um, obviously, I think one of the one of the bigger reasons that um, we, we did so well in the first half, not just our positive performance, was also the fact that Chelsea really lost it mentally. Uh, like I said, I think we forced them to lose it mentally, but they really did lose it mentally. And getting that first goal back would would have been a big boost to that mentality. And also the fact that because they were three down and then two down and whatever, they could really they really just went for us with with nothing to lose. I and mean, we've got. A, a side like Chelsea with all the attacking intent they've got in their side, being able to just attack us with nothing to lose really. Obviously they're going to throw everything that it's going to be very difficult for us. Um, I think thirdly as well as, you know, you could say that, okay, they nearly scored at the end and if that second goal, that disallowed goal had gone in. But similarly, if um, Bobby Brady's free kick had been half an inch to the right, it had been four. It had been four two. So, you know, it's not like it's not like after they scored that goal, it's not like it was all them and we had nothing. We could have we could have very easily I think our chance was much more um uh, sorry, Brady's free kick was much more likely to go in than um anything else other than those other than that other than the disallowed one. So it really could have and probably should have finished four two to us, which um would have been more than deserved, I think. So I think we can I think we can take heart from that that Although they came at us, we could have we could have easily extended our lead. And, and quickly to both of you, um, to to James first, does this result make you more confident for the season as a whole? Absolutely. Um, I think you've got to, you know, look at what happened last season with away form, how long it took us to get an away win, uh, so to tick one off at the first hurdle, um, I think it's a massive positive. Uh, and provided you know we can get those one or two more faces, I think we need them before the window closes, um, and we can start well next week. Then you know I think we should be looking to more towards the mid-table than the the bottom of the table. Yeah, it certainly does for me. I feel a lot more confident. I think I was worried about having to go away to Chelsea at the first game of the season. Um, not because you expect to get anything from it. I think if we had have got beat, everybody would have you know, shrugged and said, well, you don't expect to get anything away at Stamford Bridge. But it just 
to put you on a losing start means you're already sort of on, a, on an uphill battle. So to go ahead and, and to be able to get those points on the board already, it gives me huge encouragement that we have got the skill in the squad. That midfield was just amazing. I was so excited when I saw it. So we know we've got skill in the squad. We know we've got goals in us, even though we've lost Andre. And we've got the away day who do off our back. So I'm feeling way more confident than I was, yes. Fantastic. Um, so... As a result of that win, we've, we've now beaten the reigning champions in all four of our Premier League seasons so far. Um, so though it's a good opportunity to actually go back and look over some of those games. So on the 19th of August 2009, top flight football returned to Turf Moor for the first time in 33 years. Um, obviously, Robbie Blake's Thunderbolt will stick in the memory forever. But I remember that um, Brian Jensen's penalty save from Michael Carrick was was really important as well. Uh, I was reading a match report earlier. Film at Nulty on the BBC said Turf Moor rocked on its foundations, and it was the superstar names of Manchester United who felt the full force. Which I thought was very nice. Um, then, when Sean Dyche led us back to the Premier League, it was Manchester City who who fell at Turf Moor. Uh, very different circumstances. It was the middle of March this time. We're beat deep into the bottom three, uh, although still comfortably above rock bottom Leicester. And it was another spectacular goal to win it, a daisy cutter from George Boyd. Uh, I still have no idea how he had kept it so low. Another clean sheet as well. Obviously, Sergio Aguero led attack, couldn't find its way past Duff, Shackle and Trippier. And then earlier this year, in one of Claudio Ranieri's final Leicester matches, we won a fifth successive home game to leap us into ninth place in the Premier League. Very different type of goal this time. The corner bounced around, hit Sam Vox's hand uh, before settling just nicely for him to whack into the back of the net from about a yard out. Um, and then obviously we've done it this time at Chelsea, so who knows, we've still got to play them at home, so maybe we can do a double this time. Um, also, there's four four very big wins for Burnley, um, each probably for very different reasons. So, Natalie, which of those games do you think was the best? Uh, and I'm going to let you define best however you want, whether it's the, the most impressive performance, best result, uh, the game that made you, made you feel most euphoric, whatever you want. So, which of those games was the best for you? Well, I think in terms of a performance and in terms of the impact on the club, I do actually think that the Chelsea first half was the most important. But I'm going to argue for a case for United at home in the first Premier League season as being the most impressive. And I think it was just because at the time, um, it was pre the demise of, of United. And I say demise, and I mean that in a sense of by their own standards, not but not by the rest of ours. So at the time that United came to Turf Moor, they were the good old United under Ferguson who were um, the team that everybody wanted to beat. It was the fixture that everybody was looking forward to. And I think all clubs in their first ever season in the Premier League want to play. Um, there's something very romantic from a football perspective about playing Manchester United. They're one of the biggest global brands in the world. Um, and to bring them to Turf Moor on a Tuesday night under the floodlights and to beat them was just, it was an unreal start to Premier League life for Burnley fans. And I think it's going to be firmly up there in everybody's um, heartstrings for a long time. Um, so I think that's for me, that's what it edged it for. It was our first experience of Premier League football at Turf Moor. It was at, it was um, at home to Manchester United. We beat them and it was at a time when the, the reigning champions were one of the biggest names and still are, I guess, but obviously one of the biggest names in football. So my case is for United. Well, the United game obviously was fantastic being the first you know home game for us ever in the Premier League. Um and it was obviously a great occasion for the fans. To me, that just for the time it came in the season, um, 
I've got to pick the the Man City game. Um, you know, it was late in the season. We'd only won one of our previous eleven games leading up to it. Uh, so to upset the champions, um, you know, when at that stage it it looked like we were obviously going back down, uh, was massive. And I think it, it gave the fans hope. Um, and it was just one of those games that I think no one really expected us to do it at that stage. Uh, obviously, people didn't expect us to beat Man United either, but there was an element of you know the crowd are really up for it and. Uh, you know, the, you're still riding high on the feeling of uh, coming up from the the championship. Uh, whereas, you know, that had all worn away by the time we played Man City, and we were, you know, probably pretty downtrodden by that point. Um, but we pulled off obviously a, a, a massive win um, against a team that had a lot of firepower in it. Yeah, both very compelling arguments. I think obviously the, the case for Chelsea is that obviously it, it stands out for. Many different ways. I think this is only the second time the Premier League champions have lost their first game. I think uh, the first time at home. Um, I think the, the, for me, it's the statement that it sends out following last season's away form um, that makes it that makes it really impressive. Uh, but most of all, it's it's going three going three nil up at Stamford Bridge is incredible. It's probably something that um, most of us will not forget for a very long time. It was an amazing performance, big statement. Uh, I think it was huge for our season. Um, so you've heard us make a oh actually um, finally what what about Leicester anyone 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 for Leicester <laughs> they they were a, a lucky champion weren't they and uh, they couldn't back it up the season oh that's a bit so controversial James <laughs> didn't didn't quite have the the same feeling not quite the same feeling so what do you guys think at home um, who has won you round which is your favourite um, of the match of those four matches let us know give us a tweet at no they never or email podcast at no they never net we'd really like to see. Um, which of your games stands out? For, which of those games stands out for you, and why? If you've got a different reason um, for us, uh, Natalie, why? Why do you think we've done so well against the Premier League champions? Um, it's, it's it's weird that we've we've beaten not weird, but it's fantastic we've beat four all the Premier League champions in all four seasons. But do you think there's a reason for that? And do you know? I honestly don't know. Which is is not that inspiring a response. I get that. It, I, it's a really weird stat, isn't it? And it, it's one that you probably wouldn't of thought would be the case at all. Um I, I think I think I agree with James in that um I wouldn't call them lucky champions because I don't think there's any there was any luck about Leicester's um win. But I think I think there is an acknowledgement that Leicester were not going to go on and retain their championship and they were probably going to be relegation rivals um the season after in, in their own words. So I, I kind of discount Leicester in that I know it sounds cruel, but a lot of people beat them the season after because they were. It was a, a standalone season that was very um, set in time, and it was just a very weird, rare season where everything went right for them, and they did phenomenally well. But they were never going to change the powerhouse at the top of the, the Premier League and, and be there every single season. But certainly, City, Chelsea, United is a quandary, and you, you wouldn't you think to beat those three in any one Premier League season, regardless of their championship status, is an impressive stat anyway. But to do it all when they were reigning champions is is really impressive. I wonder whether it's just psychologically that the players just raise their game for the champions and they feel like they've earned their right to, to play in this league and they're not just going to roll over um, and allow you know, the current champions just to come and, and take the points that they're prepared to fight and that they're prepared to... Um, let you know they're prepared to demonstrate to people that they are a full Premier League side and deserve their place in the league. Maybe it's just that. I think that's a, a really good point, James. 
the, the first three of those, obviously, I'm still counting Leicester in that, but United, City and, and Leicester, we all have the benefit of a home support, whereas Chelsea was, was away from home. Do you think that's a, is that a sign maybe that we've matured a little bit more as a team now? It, it could be, yeah. I think, um, you know, Chelsea was the biggest ask by, by far, you know, to go to the champions for the first game of the season, uh, not have the support behind you. Um, and go out and, and play that way and you know get that result um was a big ask um i think you know it shocked people more than maybe that games at home uh, for that reason you know we others would have probably looked at the away form last season for oh, they're going to continue that you know they couldn't win away last year not really made too many changes to the side it's just going to be the same again this year um and you know maybe it would that would have been the case if it wasn't for the sending off but you know the send off happened, and we, you know, even then we turned turned away from what happened last season, where we were particularly poor against ten men. Um, to you know, to to get a win, and um, I think people would will have looked at that now and think um, that Burnley have this record of upsetting teams at home. Maybe now they can do it on the on the road, um, and I think it should show. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the odds are. I'd say for. I'd, our next away game against a big side to see if it does reflect the fact that we've clearly shown we we can do it away from to the turf. And just quickly, James, of obviously three of those games, Leicester completely different because it was an awful, awful goal. Um, but three of those games um, for United, City, and Chelsea had some phenomenal goals in it, um, taking away any emotion over obviously Blake's goal. Blake's goal will always go down. It's probably one of the Burnley fans' favourite goals of all time. Uh, but if you, if I was to ask you to move any emotion to choose between Blake's goal against United, Boyd's goal against City, or Stephen Ward's goal against Chelsea, which uh, which do you think is the better goal of the of the three? I'm going to go for for Stephen Ward's. Um, obviously, Blake's goal fantastic. Uh, it was maybe even just for the atmosphere around it. Um, you know, the crowd reaction to to the goal was sensational um, but it it came from a bit of a breakdown defensively obviously the ball comes back out to Stephen Jordan and then back in it's a great forward finish uh, but it it wasn't quite didn't quite have the build up uh, that some of the other goals had uh, Boyd was a you know a great volley um, but it was in tough conditions and I think it's you know you're always um, Wondering whether the goalkeeper was, you know, struggling in in the conditions, and uh, sometimes obviously the big team struggling in the conditions, and it it was good, but it's the type of goal that you see, you know, every month or so um, from someone in the Premier League, so it's not really, uh, you know, a bolt out of the blue. But the Stephen Walker, I just loved the whole build up. Um, you know, the the ball from Cork is is fantastic, um, and I think it's just the way that. Ward takes it down and he's you can see he's assessing his choices. He's not hit it on instinct like Boyd and, and Blake did. Uh, he's picked his spot and he's just hit it so sweetly. Um, and I think it, it's, you know, up there for... I've not seen all the other goals this weekend. So it, it, it's probably up there for, for goal of the weekend. Um, and I'd expect to see it in the, the first goal of the month. Fantastic. Uh, so moving on uh, back to back to 2017, we, we faced West Brom at Turf Moor on Saturday. So Natalie, are you ready to get back home? I certainly am. It's going to be very exciting, isn't it? And I think 
on the back of that Chelsea result, there's going to be a renewed enthusiasm um, at Turf Moor. There was always a worry, wasn't there, that maybe the summer signings weren't going as well as we thought they were going to do. We'd lost a couple of, of key targets. Andre then left and we lost Keane as well. Um, facing the back of a potential heavy loss away at Stamford Bridge, it could have been quite a... I'm not going to say subdued because there's always a slight party atmosphere, isn't there, at the opening home game of the season. But you can understand fans being a little bit worried and a little bit down in the dumps, but that is not going to be the case on Saturday. We are riding high. And I think one of the important things that we often talk about when we're in a Premier League season is just how much every single result means. And when you're one of the bottom, say, seven or eight sides in, in the division, you often you know that there is only a limited number of games that you can expect to get some points out of. If you discount all of the top sides, um, home and away, you're looking at essentially the bottom nine teams. You've got to win your home games and maybe half of those away um, as well. You know, you, you're trying to find those points. You don't expect to win away at Stamford Bridge and, and certainly the, the pressure of West Brom, that's one of those games where you've got to win at home. Saying that now, if a disaster happens and we get beat on Saturday at home to West Brom, we've already given ourselves that bit of breathing space um, in that we've got a bonus three points on the board. Now, of course, we want to keep those as bonus points. We don't want to lose against West Brom. But what this has just given us is just that little bit of freedom to play our own game, get back to Turf Moor where we very rarely lose and know full well that we've already got off to a flying start. It's going to be a fantastic atmosphere. I'm even more excited for it now, Natalie, after hearing that. Um, now, to bring us all back down to earth, I'm going to make you less excited again um, by highlighting the annoyingly bad record we've got against West Brom. Uh, this, I'm, I think I've got these stats right. I'm, probably, I'm expecting some tweets telling me how wrong I am. But um, as I make it out, they've scored 14 games. Uh, sorry, they've scored 14 goals in four Premier League games against us. Uh, and we've only won two of the last 17 league games against West Brom. Uh, which is three and nineteen if you include the cup. So, James, can we can we and will we smash that record on Saturday? Um, I think we can. Uh, I think it's it's hard to the the, the problem with the, like the first home game of the seasons. I feel we're still not fully aware of where the team is, um, so it's hard to sort of give you know. Good, good predictions on on what the outcome's going to be because we've not really seen enough of our team. We've not seen enough of other teams. Um, you know, West Brom obviously brought a few different players in, but I also know that uh, obviously the manager there, he, he's one of the ones that people have been talking about pre-season. Is he going to, you know, make it to Christmas? So it's it's going to be interesting because I think this is um, the first game that's going to be a real indicator of uh, what we can expect this season. If it's more of Saturday then, you know, I think we should be aiming for, you know, the very middle of the table at least. Um, but if it's a bad one, then it, it could be a sign that maybe uh, we'll be more like where we were last season. Um, but I, I think it's a, it's a key game to, you know, to see to see what we've got. And I think it's a key game for the fans because, um, you know, the first home game can set the tone for the fans a little bit. And obviously we've got off to a poor start at home last season with the game against Swansea. So I think it'd be really good to, to start off on a positive this year at home. Yeah, obviously this is uh, the first opportunity most uh, most fans will get to see Burnley this season as well. Uh, and also, who else will be seeing is Jay Rodriguez, who's going to be back at Burnley. Uh, I must admit, it's, my heart struggles a little bit seeing him in a in a West Brom shirt. Natalie, uh, are you looking forward to seeing him back at Turf Moor? Only if he doesn't put that ball in the back of the net. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> I'm not going to be too keen. But no, we've always said this, haven't we, that there is a real feeling of 
what's the word I'm looking for? There's a, there's a family feeling at Burnley, isn't there? And we always, unless a player leaves under quiet circumstances, and Jason Shackley, I'm looking at you when I say that, we tend to really feel like we want to be part of their careers when they leave Turf Moor, especially with players like Danny Ings, Kieran Trippier, Jay Rodriguez and people like that. We want them to do well and they'll always feel like they're part of the Clarets family, um, especially with Jay, who's been a Burnley fan all his life, came through our youth rank. Um, his family are all still Burnley fans and he's obviously got a really strong connection to the club. Um, that said, for for 90 minutes on, on Saturday, he is... Um, one of the opposition so I will leave my heart uh, purely at the turnstile and I won't be cheering him on and I will very much hope that he has a disastrous game I hope he has a great season the rest of the time but has an absolute shocker for us or even better maybe scores a couple of own goals that would be marvellous yeah he's always been a claret always been a claret so he can score a few goals to help us on our way um, that's all we've got time for this week on the podcast uh, remember this is your Clarets podcast so please do send us your reaction to anything we've talked about uh, you can either tweet at no never or email podcast at no at net. Uh, let us know if you agree with us or especially let us know if you disagree with us and we'll we always like to read out your comments so get those sent in uh, next week Natalie is going to be flying high in the sky while we record the podcast so we're going to have a special guest in our place so uh, look forward to that we're also debuting a new feature uh, going to be telling the story of the game direct from the stands as it happened uh, so make sure you tune in for that um, if you don't already uh, you can make sure you get the next episode first by subscribing on iTunes or on your phone just search for Known and Ever in your podcast app or go to knownandever.net slash subscribe and you can find us on Facebook and Twitter um, finally if you've enjoyed this week's podcast you can share it on Facebook and Twitter as well uh, we really really appreciate it obviously the more listeners we get the more better the podcast can be so until then thanks to Natalie and Jane for joining me thanks to everyone who sent in your thoughts on Twitter and Facebook and email and especially thank you to you for tuning in uh, oh and keep listening for a short clip from the podcast this time last year see you next week bye it's Stephen Defoe who it looks like is going to be our club record signing hopefully going to be announced on Tuesday, it might well be announced uh, before the podcast comes up, actually. It's a very exciting signing, and I think it's one of the signings that we've been waiting for all summer, just a real um, headline. Um, and, and you have to remember, previously, looking abroad hasn't been that successful. We all remember uh, Fernando Guerrero and uh, Remco van der Schaaf and all these different foreign... Don't even uh, mention the Sartre Berisha, Adam, because he would have been sensational. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.